coming up next on the wet fly swing podcast and what i'll say maybe is controversial but i'll stand by it i don't think our industry has prioritized bringing the next generation in and it's something that we've got to work on with the cloak that was one of our hopes right with the cloak a family can come in and instead of having to buy their kid a 150 pair of wading shoes or you know uh, they can buy these cloaks and put them in you know their water shoes put the cloaks over top of them and and get them out on the water that was caleb lazadier taking us into one of the unique products in the choda product line the pro bass circuit kayak fishing and the choda outdoor gear story today on the swing Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Before we get going here, just want to remind you one quick and easy way to support this podcast is to share an episode, either this episode or a past episode. That's the best way to help get the word out there and to help another fellow angler. Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. You can head over right now to wetflyswing.com slash Daiichi and check out what they have going and check out these killer hooks. That's Daiichi, D-A-I-I-C-H-I. Caleb Lazdier and Mark Brown are here to break down the Choda Outdoor Gear Story and some of the unique products they have in their line. Mark takes us into the history of Chota products. We find out uh, how the hippies, these hippies waiters, came to be and what they're all about. And we also get the lowdown on who uh, the mastermind was behind Chota way back in the day. So it's it's a pretty cool story. We're going to go into some gear today. An equal part nerdy gear talk and hilarious stories mixed with a little clink hammer. Here we go. Mark Brown and Caleb Lazadier from ChotaOutdoorGear.com. How you doing, guys? Doing well. Doing good. Thank you. Thanks for making a little time today to dig into uh, a little bit on Choda Outdoor Gear. We're going to talk a little bit about products. Uh, you guys have some pretty cool stuff going, some products I'm interested in digging into today. But also, uh, I want to hear your background because you guys are both into fly fishing. So we're going we're gonna to dig into Choda as deep as we can today. But before we get going, let's just start out. And Mark, you're on top of my list. So give me a background real quick. How did you get into fly fishing first? And then how did you run into, how did you come into Choda gear? Sure. Um, I've been an outdoor person all my life, thanks to my dad. Um, I moved to Tennessee about 30 years ago to work for a company called Dagger Kayak. And uh, once it got sold, I was looking around for another job. And one of our vendor partners was Choda Outdoor Gear. Uh, they made some little parts for us. And uh, uh, Frank, who owned it, uh, legend in his own time for sure, asked me if I needed a job. So I went to work for him. That was 24 years ago. And Frank was just real innovative. Everything he did, he looked at a little differently. And um created an incredible brand, just a fun guy to be around when he was being inventive, always cutting stuff up and putting it back together differently. So that happened. And then uh, Frank had, this is his second or third lifetime of you know working. So he decided to sell the company. I bought it. And in between all that, I went from kayaking. I had torn my body up enough on that. that I started fly fishing and you know, we sold fly fishing gear as well as kayaking gear. And I just got more and more into it. And I've learned that you know, old kayakers don't die. Um, whitewater paddlers, they just go fly fishing. There's so many of them out there that fly fish now. And uh, it's pretty, pretty wild. You know, when I go and do a show somewhere and I start talking to somebody, well, I used to be a paddler, but I tore this up or that up. So now I fly fish. So several years ago, I bought the company from him. He was looking to retire, um, a partner and I. And then about four years after that, Ranger, our parent company, came along. They wanted to buy us, and my partner was looking to do other things. So sold the company, and they kept me for some reason. Um, they kept me around, and it's been you know a really, really good thing. I mean, this is not an indus- easy industry to make millions in, but it sure is a fun one. Yeah. That's why we all love it, right? We all yeah. love it for that reason. I mean, yeah. So it's one of those things through the fly fishing over the years, uh, I've learned that fly fishermen 
for whatever reason, tend to, when they write books and articles, they tend to make it sound pretty complicated. And there are complicated parts to it, but I just try and tell people, one, it's easier than you think. Two, trout are nice. I love catching trout, but if you can fly fish on a farm pond, a local river, I spend most of my year, uh, especially in the warmer months, chasing smallies with a fly. Oh, nice. And, you know, if you want to get a kid in it, Take him to a pond, put a popper on, let him catch some bluegill, you know? So um, anyways, we've been partnered now for about four or five years. Um, That's when I first met uh, Caleb and uh, when he came into this. Perfect, perfect. No, that's a great intro, Mark. I love that. And there's, I got like... I love when podcasts start like this, when I have like 10 questions on top of your first, you know what I mean? Your first intro. So that's good stuff. So we got a lot, but I want to jump into Caleb and, uh, and talk about his story first really quick as well. And then we'll bring it back to some of my questions because we're doing a, we're doing a cool giveaway event that's going on. I've been talking to some of the people who have been entering already. And it's really interesting because I send out questions to some of them to say, Hey, like, what are you interested in? What fishing? And I got a really good feel for who they are, you know, and we already know from our listeners, but I mean, smallmouth bass is huge. Yeah. You know I mean? Lots of people are saying, obviously trout is huge, but smallies is a giant species. And then you also mentioned another one. We might dig into some of the, some of more of the farm pond stuff and those in the sunfish and all that. But, um, but Caleb, let, take us to your, your deal. So how did you get into fly fishing? Then how did you come into the whole uh, Choda? Yeah. So, uh, I actually started in the conventional fishing world. So I started competitively bass fishing when I was 10 years old. Uh, me and my dad had fished, you know, ever since I was a little kid. Um, he traveled a lot with his job at that time. And every weekend, if we weren't playing ball, we were going to Dr. Dobner's pond or there was a pond in my neighborhood growing up and I'd go and sneak away. You know, this is before parents were tracking their kids and really worried where they were at. See, I got into competitive bass fishing when I was 10 years old and kind of followed that passion and uh, ended up going to college for it um, on scholarship. And um, Let's stop there. (laughs) This is is also good. Let's stop there because I haven't heard this before. Yeah. So scholarship for competitive bass fishing. Yeah. Do you want to take us there really quick? Because that is really, I've never heard that before. Or do you want to finish your story first and then go back to it? No, no, we can go there. So I, I got into the like scholastic fishing right at the very beginning of it, like started our high school team. Um, from there, that's when scholarships really started to get, there was a little bit more of a push on it. And so I started getting recruited by uh, Bryan College and I talked with, you know, a couple other schools and it actually took me a while because I had started a business whenever I was in high school. And so I was in between like, do I follow this fishing deal or do I, you know, continue to grow my business and go to a JUCO and ultimately fishing one out? And it was pretty cool, man, uh, for two years. So funny enough, even though I was on scholarship, I, I, I didn't end up finishing, but that's what brings me to fly fishing. Um, you know, for two years, I got to travel around the Southeast and uh, the, the school paid for my meals, my lodging, the wow. uh, gas in my boat. You know, we had a lot of cool deals with industry partners, uh, and it was the closest closest I, I probably will get to being a professional bass fisherman unless something ends up happening. But yeah, it was cool. Some of the guys I got to fish with uh, are on the ranks of some of the youngest guys to ever get to fish the Bassmaster Classic, and both of them are competing on the Elite Series now. So it was cool. But uh, kind of going into that's what brought me into fly fishing. And so after my second year, the, just the pressure and everything – uh, was really getting to me. I was breaking out in like hives before tournaments and just like stress was just killing me. And why was that stress? I'm just kind of curious on that. Cause that's, you know, the pressure of literally, like if you don't win, then major things are going to happen. Well, not that necessarily major things are going to happen, but like there was a lot of expectation there, you know? And the other thing is like weather conditions, right? So I had a couple of different d- times where I went out and uh, four to five foot swells. I had a 40 mile run, you know, uh, weather conditions. You're talking, we kept motorcycle helmets in our uh, boats for the cold, but you know, if a hailstorm popped up and you're still having to run, like getting pelted in the face with hell doesn't feel great. <laughs> but so Damn. throw that motorcycle helmet on and it doesn't hurt, <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. you know, rain at 68, 70 mile an hour doesn't feel good on your face. And so you, you know, so there was a lot of, you know, it didn't matter how cold it was or how rainy it was or, or what was going on. You had to fish that next morning. So 
there was just a lot of pressure there. And so I decided to transfer schools my sophomore year. And I connected with a friend of mine uh, again that I had actually fished with in a junior club, Cooper Gray, and he was fly fishing at that time. Who then connected me to a guy named Mason Sims, who was uh, he was doing like USA Youth fly fishing stuff, and we connected and went to the Nana Halo with him and and started fly fishing. Uh, Euro nymphing is actually how I learned how to fly fish, and uh, was hooked on it ever since. And then. I ended up into the industry. So it started with a fly shop and then we grew into ASG and Choda. Oh, there you go. So that's it. And this is really cool. Again, I love that you, that you hit on the Euro nymphing because that's the giveaway. Partly this is what we're doing. We're focusing on, we're heading out with Pete Erickson, who's the, just won the gold medal for Euro nymphing in the last yeah. year with team USA. So we, he's going to be our teacher on this event. And then you guys are giving away some boots and some of your, some of your waiters, yeah. uh, some of the gear. And, and so I want to talk about that too, because that's a big part of it, but let's take it back. Mark, I want to go back to you because you had mentioned, you had mentioned Frank. And I remember I have a connection with Choda going way back. My dad also had a little tiny fly shop when I was a kid. And I remember he wore Choda boots, you know, he had the boots and I re- always remember that. And, uh, give us the Frank story a little bit on the guy. How did, do you know the history there? Like how he started it, why he started this company? Uh, yeah, Frank has done a lot. I mean, he was one of the first uh, scuba diving reps and reps in the country. He was one of the first water ski reps in the country. He's worked for anybody and everybody you can imagine in those two fields. What's his last name? Bryant. Frank Bryant. Bryant. Yeah. Okay. And um, it's just one of those things. He's very invented. You know, he went to work for the scuba guys as a sail rep and started developing new fins and new styles of fins new mass configurations. It's just a little bit of everything. And same thing with, uh, same thing with everything he did. So he grew up in Ohio, Indiana border and his place had a, his parents had a place in Northern Minnesota on little bird Lake. And they would go up there and they would paddle, uh, these long trips. I mean, that was just, part of it. It's up on the boundary waters. Anyways, he'd go and they do these paddling trips. Well, you know, as the years went by and he's doing things, he kind of backed off the rep side of it and started saying, Hey, I'm going to take my kids and do more of the canoe paddling stuff. And he couldn't find footwear, you know, a boot that would drain, that would grip real well. So he came out with a thing called river runner 2000, which was the ugliest looking boot. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Oh, it's still, is that the first product? That was it. The River Runner 2000 was the, that was the first product in this industry. And it basically, it looked like a, uh, it was based off, his son was a state championship wrestler. It was based off a of wrestling. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So he did that. And as that came along, he said, well, this is good, but it's one of those things where you have a really good idea and a really good product, but it's not what the public really wants. They want something that looks a little more traditional, right? So he made it into an actual boot, and that was the Trekker, which is our second boot. And then the Trekker, one day he was out fishing, and he hated his fishing boots. He said, I'm going to put felt soles on my Trekker. And sitting right behind me on my desk is that actual boot that he took the Trekker, and he took it, and he put a felt sole on it, and then just started going from there. It was so light compared to everything else out there. And what's that boot called? What's that boot called now? Um, that whole line led from that to the STL to the STL plus the STL plus was our mainstay for 20 years. It had the synthetic felt sole. He was, I mean, he did a lot of first, like the quick laces, the bungee laces. He was the first person to put them on a boot. Oh, really? No less a shoe. We sold to a certain large company for years. And then they turned around and come out with water shoes one year. And this is after they told us how much they liked that system. (laughs) on all their water shoes. And now it's just everywhere. You know, it just, it went, he was the first one when he went to felt, he was like, there was a big argument back then about uh, the cleats. Can the trout hear the cleats in the water? And he says, here are the cleats. You got this big white thing flashing on the bottom of your boot. So anyways, he was looking for a new felt. He found this polypropylene felt. And like I say, it's hydrophobic. It really got rid of the water, dried quicker, was more durable than standard felt first person to do that. It was about five or six years before anybody else put that on a boot that we didn't make. We made boots for a lot of people at one time. 
uh, some very large companies out there. Anyways, so he just kept messing with it, really. And that STL Plus was really good. We discontinued it two years ago now. And it's it's one of those decisions that was hard to make only because we had had it so long. But to give you an idea, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that thing was selling like hotcakes. And it had just, you know, it had run its course. And, and the problem is people don't realize that things run their course, whether they're still good or not. You know, it's a viable product. But people want the next. They want the next. They want the next. Okay. So, and it was a leather boot, which is a great thing. But the problem with leather boots is they do, after a while, people don't take care of them. They dry out. They'll dry faster than the sole will dry. And this is after 10, 15, 20 years of use. Um, yeah. Usually about every Monday morning this time of year, I get a thing from somebody that says, hey, I'm having a problem with my boots. I'm having a problem with my sole and my uppers. And they send it to you. And then you say, well, send me the lock number. And you say, well, those are 20-year-old boots. Oh, Wow. That's real common. And they go, 20 years Amazing. old? I had no idea. Well, and there's two kinds. The kind you know you work with, and they're like, hey, you know, what you got now? What's next? I love these boots. Exactly. Yeah. Tw- 20 years. How many years do you want out of a boot? That's always the funny question I always have with gear is like, I always think of the 10-year rule, especially boots. I've always said that, not even waiting boots, just boots in general. I'm like, if I get 10 years out of a pair of boots, I feel pretty darn good about it, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know how you guys feel, but some people are saying like, hey, I want 30 years out of my boots, right? Well, that's the other percentage. I'd say about 30% of the people out there want to argue with me about why their boots didn't hold up longer. Right. Even though they got 20 years out of them. Yeah. And they, you know, and there's, this is the problem we have is I don't know how the boots were stored, how long it went between uses. Most waiting boots, this is, sounds counterintuitive, I know, but to a point, the more you use them, the longer they'll last. The sole materials and all that, the felt, when it dries out, every time it dries out, and I'm not talking about noticeable every time it dries out, but every time it dries out, it wears a little. So if you're, you know, in these all the time, and I hate to say this, it's like mine. They're sitting out back here on my roof of my car drying out. Are they still wet? Yeah, they're still wet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they, they stay that <laughs> way, you know, and for people who fish a lot, that's not a problem. It's these people who fish, you know. Once or twice a year, put them in a in a bin with their waders. That is the absolute worst thing you could ever do. Put them in a bin or a bucket. You know, they need to be set up somewhere they can dry out of the sun. Turn your waders inside out and hang them up. That will make your gear last a lot longer. If right. you're wondering about that, turn them inside out and see how where the black spots are. Because with a breathable laminate, all the water goes out, but everything on your skin doesn't. It kind of gets trapped in there. And it's not noticeable if you just turn them inside out, they dry, everything goes on, even if you don't get wet inside. But if you just pile them up somewhere or put them in one of those bins, you pull them out six months later, there's going to be some funky stuff growing in there. Right. Gotcha. So that's it. Well, no, this is good. I love the ST because the STL Plus was basically the boot that if you go back to the the 90s or you know, that was probably the boot you guys had at mm. the time. Was that the boot that's been the main waiting boot? That was it forever. And I mean, we just sold thousands of them and he just, you know, like I say, he wasn't ever really happy with anything. He kept uh, changing everything. I think one of the funniest things he ever did is he came in one day with a pair of waiting socks and he had, or their pair of waders that he cut off at the thighs and he had a leg on each side and he goes, I got some work to do, but what do you think of this? And I'm looking at him on. I don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah. But then he worked on them a little bit and came back and he had them rolled down. He goes, now watch this. He rolls them up. He tucks the bungee cord he'd attached to him under his belt. And he goes, now you have hip waders. And then it went from one thing to another. So the hippie, the original version has been around about 10 years and they're as popular as ever. So 10 years. So Frank, when did Frank, um, when did he leave the company? That would have been about 2017, 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not too long ago. So just, yeah. So basically yeah, yeah. six or seven years ago or whatever that's been. Okay. And awesome. Yeah. And like I say, he, he did that. We've gone on from there to do some, some other things. Um, you know, the, the big thing that I, uh, keep thinking when I'm working on a new product is just simply, okay, how is this different from what's out there? Because if you look, you can take waiters in the 150, $200 range and line them all up and they're all the same. 
even high-end waders, even low-end boots, whatever you take. So what's different? And I think one of the things that Frank was big on was um, comfort. You know, it's got to be durable, but but comfortable. So um, the different part's a little odd. He and I worked on, I wanted to reinvent the uh, River Runner 2000 in a new mood, new style. So we worked on that together. That was a lot of fun because Frank's opinion was right and you weren't. <laughs> So that was hard to deal with, but, but it was in a good way. And uh, we came up with uh, the hybrid boot and our hybrid rubber sole boot goes across a lot of different platforms. So it goes into hunting, it goes into fishing, it goes into canoeing and kayaking, and it's our number one seller by far. I mean, it's, there's no competitor. And what's this boot called? It's called the hybrid 800. Hybrid 800. Okay, perfect. And you do have a lot of different uh, styles of shoes, right? Yep. Well, like you said, the STL isn't out there anymore, but you've got a number of different styles. We've got so many styles. The newer ones are all synthetic, which is great because a synthetic boot doesn't soak up any water. Um, the foot, you know, when you get into things like um, making the footbeds more comfortable, because, you know, if you're out there all day, you want it light and comfortable, you know, and the comfort is a big thing. I think that the industry overall um, cause you know, we try everybody's boots is really behind in that. I can't figure that out, but I do know it's expensive. I mean, just look at tennis shoes, Dave, how many different ones are out there and what are they going toward more and more and more lighter, squishier. Oh, and squishier. Yeah. And big soles like the pole I've been using my running shoes are the, um, what are they called? They're those super thick sole ones, right? I do that because my knees are getting old, but also because they're comfortable. Yeah, that's it. So my everyday shoes you know, like I said, I tore everything up kayak and some of my everyday shoes are a really squishy pair of running shoes and I don't run anymore, but I want that comfort. So what we have now is good. We have a couple of products we're working on that should be out in the next year or two that are kind of real different. I mean, part of it's going to be a little bit of a sell because it's not the standard uniform, you know, but man, I've prototyped them for a whole year and I love these things and my feet they're so light, they're incredibly durable, but it's just how light and how comfortable they are. But they do look a little different. So yeah, and Frank's retired, living on the mountain, fishing and Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, so we'll catch maybe we'll catch up with Frank at a later point, but so this is good. I love the intro. And of course, you know, we probably won't go deep into all the mm-hmm. people that have been connected over the years, but you know, I want to switch this over and talk, you know, Caleb, you're involved in this too. So obviously Mark's been there for a while doing all the, you know, with the product design. I mean, talk about what your role is there with Choda. And I know you guys have a bunch of different things going on, but take us back. So you came into Choda with Ranger and then what are you doing? What's your daily, weekly look like? Yeah. So, um, right now I'm, I'm our national sales manager for Ranger Outdoors. So I'm been, over the last year, really focusing on, you know, our ASG and Daiichi holding and, and uh, this year, especially really working on, um, on Choda, you know, reestablishing a, uh, you know, dealer. So reestablishing distribution, uh, get more dealers out there um, and really trying to develop like our, our taglines been the next generation. And so, really trying to build that next generation. We, we laugh whenever we go to shows because we can kind of tell our customer, you know, they're older guys and they've been around for forever. And so I'm really wanting to make sure that my generation, right, our 20s and 30s are starting to get into this brand and, and we're, you know, building product that is appealing to them, looks appealing to them and that we use. I mean, you know, I, I guess I've kind of broke the mold with Choda, right? Like I, uh, I started wearing Chodas. That was the first wading boot I ever bought. I bought a pair of Sitico Creek before I ever knew I was going to be a part of, uh, of this company. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're doing right now is just talking. I'm our sales guy. So I'm talking with dealers, talking with customers, trying to, to get our, our name out there and, and, uh, Choda Gen 2 rolling out. That's awesome. I love that. So how do you go if you're in a, you know, you're talking to a dealer or anybody out there and you're trying to get those waders or all the gear, but hippies, for example, what do you talk about when you say, Hey, we've got these waders? Because I think, you know, a lot of people, right. Not everybody's wearing hip mm-hmm. waders. I think like the standard is probably the normal waders. What do you tell them when you say, Hey, we got these waders that are pretty awesome. So like for the hippies, they're great the way that I use them. So, you know, in East Tennessee, we've got tailwaters that get really deep real fast. So, you know, wading is 
difficult if you're actually wading that river. Um, but we use a lot of boats. And so they're great for getting in and out of, of a drift boat whenever you're you're fishing water that you can, you know, beat your drift boat and then do some do some wading on, you know, like uh, gravel bars and, and some shallower riffles and things like that. Low water situations are absolutely fantastic. And what I've seen more of and, and what I, you know, tell dealers about is like guys that travel a lot. It's really hard to go and put chest waders into your carry-on bag i mean we all know what it's like flying an airplane right now i don't know where they've got their dimensions of the average human but it's off (laughs) (laughs) i can tell i can tell you that um especially with the amount of time i've spent in an airplane the last month uh, doing these shows but so i've got a lot of guys that really love the hippies because they can pack them in their carry-on or pack them in their checked luggage or keep a pair in their truck and whenever they want to go and, and fish, they can just slip those on real quick, go and get knee deep and go and, you know, test out the water. So instead of having to keep all that gear that's taking up a bunch of space, it's really fast. It's really easy for me with my drift boat, you know, rowing a drift boat in the springtime, you know, being in Southeast Tennessee, we can have 70 degree days in February. And so wearing a, a chest wader can get kind of cumbersome because you start rowing in the morning, you're nice and cozy. But uh, about noon, you are dying. <laughs> you know, you're just cooking yep. on the inside of those waders. Um, and so the hippies is a great option there. And then it, it crosses boundaries, like I say, with hunters, with people in, in the kayak bass fishing world now or just canoeing. They're great for getting in and out. So it kind of opens up their customer to just, you know, trout fishermen or steelhead fishermen or, or whatever, you know, whatever type of cold water species you're going after in a stream or, you know, small running, uh, running warm water rivers for smallmouth to, to this whole new customer base. And that's pretty great. But the other great thing with Choda is uh, we all know the waiter market is absolutely inundated. Is it, is there's just like, there's waiters, like everybody's got a pair of waiters. Is that kind of how it looks? Well, not so much with that, but just when it comes to getting into shops and stuff, you've got some pretty big players that throw their weight around, but you've got, you know, you've got low end and you've got high end. And where we kind of come in is we want to give the average person the ability to come in and get the best pair of waiters that they possibly can at a price that is affordable to them, that they're not having to save up or throw something on a credit card and they can get, you know, used to it. So we want people to be able to get in and get out with a really nice pair of waiters and boots for under five, you know, around $500. Now with inflation, we're at about six fifty. Uh, but, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's kind of that, that's our goal. That's our space is we want to create this, affordable but really really good waiter that has innovative features in it that's affordable to everybody because that helps everyone that helps grow our sport people aren't going to get into our sport if they think they've got to take a second mortgage out on their house to get into it right 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 and those are waiters and you're talking about the full waiters you guys the full line but the hippies what is the price point for the hippies uh hippies are 142 for the standard and 159 for our tundra yeah so you're more mid, you know, so you can get in the hippies for quite a bit less than you can get into this, the full waders and, mm-hmm. and then talk about a little bit, cause I got, there's some good, uh, parts here I want to touch on is one is the features. I'm not sure Mark or Caleb who wants to talk about this, but you talked about the unique things that the waiters, so they do have a unique system. At least the waiters I have, they got as far as the way they fold down the strapping system. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to talk about that? Because it's not your normal waiter where you just put them on and, you know, and you're done with them. They have different features, right? Within that system. Well, uh, yes, yeah, just simple. We partnered with a company called Ducks. They came out with a harness suspension system. Really small company, really small guy. How do you spell that? It's an abbreviation. It's D-U-C. It's the duck system, but we call it Ducks. Oh, duck system. Yep. Yeah. And uh, like I say, it's more like wearing a shoulder harness like you would for a sidearm. But when you put it on, this is a great thing about it. When you put it on, your waders are not attached by your shoulders. I know that sounds funny, but you know, you undo the front of your waders and the whole thing plops down, right? Yeah. Well, when you unhook the, or unclip the front tube, it only goes down so far because you're still hooked into the waiter. It's hooked in at your hips. And it's one of those things when you put it on, it's like you can pull it on by those that are real easy to get into. You put the straps on your shoulders and then you can pull that up, but you can pull that up or just roll it down uh, You know, when it starts to get warm here, we have those really cold mornings like this morning. You put your waders on, you go out, you unclip it, 
and you just let it drop. You don't have to tie anything. You don't have to do anything. You can pull the drawstring, you know, closer. But that duct system was very innovative just as far as how comfortable it is. One of the things it does without having a zipper was you can go to the bathroom real easy and you don't have to take your vest off. You can reach under your vest, undo it, undo all this. Your coat, if you have a coat on over it, just reach up there, undo it, pull it down. You can go. Um, so it's pretty simple, but it keeps everything in place better than anything else I found. I mean, I like our old waiters and our other stuff, but this system is its just a better system. And we're going to be pairing that with our new blue line that will be coming out later this year. Today's episode is sponsored by Chode Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chode insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chode gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. And I have a family connection to Chota over the years. Back in the shop, uh, the old shop, my dad uh, carried Chota, and he wore those proudly with confidence. And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Chota, and I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Chota in 2023. I'm pretty rough in my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it. So it's good to know that the Chota gear is durable, is bomber, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, even on those long trips, you know, if you have a blowout, it's not going to be a good situation. So I'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year. Clean, comfortable, charismatic, and ready for any situation you can throw at it. You can head over right now to Chota Outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash Chota. That's C-H-O-T-A to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. Where should they, we should send them if they want to have questions about the waiters, just send them over to you, Mark. Yeah, send them to the website. You can call us. We're a real small company. If you call, you're going to probably get me. If I'm not here, you probably get Caleb. <laughs> I mean, that's what I love. I mean, that's the beauty is, right? I mean, that's the thing that I think people are missing sometimes in this world, right? Like being able to like talk to somebody, yeah, an actual human. No, when people call and I start answering their questions, they're like, well, I really appreciate it. And uh, it's kind of surprised to get a human. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. My other question here is on the warranty, because you talked about boots being an issue, right? Like people are like, how long do they last? Well, waiters, I mean, right? That's, we're talking gore or whatever the material is, right? We could talk more about that. But I mean, how long do we expect a waiter to last? And again, how do people take care of it? I mean, what do you tell somebody when they come in, they say they're buying a pair of waiters or they're maybe brand new to Chota? What do you tell them? Like not only how to take care of them, but how long should they expect? And then what does that warranty look like? Yeah, um, this is a really hard one because, you know, Demographic information I've gotten over the last so many years tells me that most people only fish 10 days a year. I mean, that's like 60% of the population that fish. It's not a bad thing, but if you're only fishing that much, it really depends on how you take care of your gear. You know, if you're fishing all the time, if I can get three years out of a pair of boots because I fish a lot and I know a lot of guides, they're like, if I can get two years out of a pair of boots, I'm doing good. Um, On a warranty, this simple answer is we have a one-year warranty against anything, but sometimes after that contact us, we'll be glad to help you out. We don't want you on the, you know, not being able to get on the water. Most of the times, you know, you get a waiter back that leaks and I'd say over, and we don't get a lot back that leak, but the ones we do, over half of them have a hole in them. And you can always tell like a hook hole or a briar hole or bob wire hole. It's just, it makes a certain type of hole. It's not, you know, um, if something's going to go wrong on a pair of waders, ours or anybody's, generally it's going to go wrong in the first year. Okay. You know, when I say that, I mean manufacturing defect, it's going to go wrong first year. Anything after that, though, uh, usually we fix pretty simple, pretty cheap. You know, patching waders isn't a hard thing, but some people just don't have the time or aren't familiar with it. it takes two seconds. We'll take care of you. As far as you know, how long I got a pair of uh, prototypes I'm working with right now that I've had for, I think I'm going on my second year of this prototype. And I like them. They're really good and they're holding up. The ones I had before that, a different prototype, I think they lasted me <laughs> about four months of stuff before I got a leak. And that again is, you know, in the prototype thing. Uh, my advice is if you get a pair of waders, 
and they never leak and you keep fishing them and you and they get dirty and all this other stuff and they never leak don't get new waders <laughs> yeah stick with them yeah that's what i find about waders that's what i find about waders is that um I'm not big on the, I'm actually a pretty sloppy when it comes to all my gear. You know what I mean? I like, I take care of as good as I can, but I'm not the one, I'm not cleaning stuff. I'm not cleaning my waders. I'm not cleaning my reels very often, you know, but I mean, do you recommend that? Like with waders, I mean, it sounds like keeping them dry, but should people be doing anything to the waders themselves over the years? Like if they have a pair of waders for four years, do you have to like, do you ever wash them? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, all I do on mine is get a bucket, put a little warm water in it, a little light, and I just lay them out on the patio table, give them a quick scrub down and oh, scrub. Yep. Yeah. I'll be honest. Most of that is if you're in waiters long enough, uh, most of us don't pay attention. They, your buddies will tell you, yeah, your waiters stink. <laughs> that's right. I guess <laughs> that's I guess none of my buddies have been, none of my buddies have been nice enough to let me know yet. So I guess that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, but if you just turn them inside out, hang them upside, you know, hang them after you use them, that's about the, most you can really do. I mean, you can clean them all you want, but if you do that, it gives everything trapped inside a chance to get out. Um, gotcha. That includes those gas station breakfast burritos. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, that's a question. So let's go, let's go down. So how does that work with, is the material, like, what is the material? Because you'd hear, you know, Gore-Tex obviously is the material that everybody hears about, but is it a like Gore-Tex type material? Is it a, it's a breathable type material? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's probably about six, well, there's probably five that I know of that are mainstream. We use Torre. Torre is real common. It's a three-layer breathable laminate. We use five-layer on some for the wear patches. But uh, the three-layer just gives you the best breathability outside of Gore-Tex. And it's, you know, it's a good product. There are people who develop, like, just some companies are big enough, they develop their own material, but it's still the same thing. You have a trico lining on the inside and that helps move the moisture to the membrane. And then once it moves to the membrane, it's got to go out through the weave. So you can make a pretty tough waiter, but there's a certain denier tightness of that weave that you can't go past without losing a lot of breathability. So that's why most people use a three layer, or if they're using a Gore-Tex, they have a way of weaving that fabric to where it's, it's no, I would say it's outside is no tougher than a three layer, but the membrane is tougher. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's a very different membrane, you know, and the real trick is, is, you know, how they fit is more and more important than the material because uh, for a long time, you had somebody like me, I'm five, eight on a good day. All right. So I'm between a medium and a small. I've always worn the mediums just so I can stretch more in them. That's our next phase. The next phase is the blue line and it's 13 sizes. There's no small, medium, large. It's all done different. The prototypes I've been wearing, the full in the smaller shoe size is the best fitting sock I've ever had. I've always had extra material because I got an eight and a half foot and, you know, a medium goes up to like an 11, you know, or 10, I'd say in ours. But anyways, that's a bigger issue is getting a good fit because people who don't, if you've got too much bag in the legs, they'll just rub together. And if you're a big guy and they're rubbing together in their baggie, you're going to put a hole in it. Yeah. yeah, That is a big challenge. And looking at all of us, right. We're all different. I mean, I feel like that's the one thing with the waiter is my test on a waiter. Can I put it on in the morning, you know, and literally wear that thing all day. And at the end of the day, it gets dark. I'm still wearing the waiter cooking dinner and even at some point, I mean, I've even slept in my waders, right? I mean, like up and on some of these crazy trips. So that's my test. Like how comfortable, and you mentioned it, comfortable. So you guys are going down a line where you're trying to customize these, these waders so they fit more than just like small, medium, large. Is that kind of what you're going for? Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And Caleb will tell you, Caleb is not a little guy. I was going to say, Caleb, why don't you tell me? Because you, Caleb, you look like you could pound me into the sand with your, you're a little <laughs> bit bigger than me. So talk about how do you fit, like, say, a, a person that's a little bit bigger, yeah. because that seems like the challenge, yeah. right? Because you get this way, okay, this is a medium long, whatever, that doesn't fit me. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and about 285. So, nice. uh, <laughs> you, you could, count, literally you could count me into the sand. That's amazing. <laughs> so, I you know, yeah, I'm a bigger guy. So for me, like a two X got me in my, in my legs, but up top, I had a bunch of material and, uh, in this new waiter, I'm a class five full. I'm kind of between a full and average right now. And 
it fits you like a glove. So where most of the time I'm having to, you know, holler at my buddy, be like, Hey man, come back here to the back of the truck. I need you to pull on my ankles, which causes your waders to leak. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. Like that, that union between the neoprene and your breathable material, when you've got a buddy that's having to sit there and yank on your feet, that's just weakening that union. And that's where most people leak at. And so I can actually take these waders off by myself uh, <laughs> and, and just get on the back of the truck, you know, pop my duck system down. And, and it's funny, we talked about how comfortable the duck system was when I was in Colorado last week, I actually ended up, uh, wearing my duck system into Ted Montana's cause I forgot I had it on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. so, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you actually fit into the waiter. So I, what I tell people is that we're trying to give you a custom fit waiter without the custom price. And all these these guys that are having to go in, whether you're on the small end or the large end, I fit a guy up to six seven in our class five slim. He was a you know string bean, and then with our King X, I fit a guy that you know he was a bigger dude, a lot bigger dude, and he looked at me. He's like, man, I've never been able to wear a pair of waders. I said, well, you can now, hmm. and it's affordable. Nice. So. You know, when you talk about the comfort deal, when I was in Colorado, I put those things on at seven o'clock in the morning and I literally didn't take them off until about seven o'clock at night. And I wasn't uncomfortable. I wasn't getting all bunched up. I didn't feel like I was, you know, a lot of times guys with bigger thighs, you'll sit down and it feels like you've got a compression sock on. It just feels like you got regular clothes on. I can bend down. We talk about Euro nymphing, right? Like, a lot of times uh, when you're on the lower water or, or you're trying to euro nymph, you know, a big thing is guys getting down on their knees so that they don't cast a long shadow and spook those fish. You can get down on your knees and, you, you know, you're not getting the squinch on you. And so, so that's really important. I mean, you're not going to fish long if you're not comfortable. And so that's with this new blue line, that's the whole deal is, yeah, it's more size intensive, but people aren't going to have to, make sacrifices anymore just to fit into a pair of waders and to put on that quote unquote uniform. Exactly. Yeah, no, I love it. So you guys have the waders, you got the boots, you've got, we've talked about some of the the past products you've had. I mean, what else, like take me down the line a little bit, because I know you've got, I've seen, you know, there's some like bags and there's some other like accessories. When people come to you, are you guys kind of thinking like, what's the next thing? What's the next area we're going to go into? Or how does that look with your line? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of in this, we started during the pandemic, which was a wonderful time to start it. Um, just reinvent imagining the uniform. It hasn't changed. Uh, materials have to a degree, but the uniform itself hasn't changed in years. And you got to ask yourself, you know, is there something, something that can be changed? Is it what it is? And we think it can. The one with the waiter that fits so many more people. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I always told people selling waiters, it's like a bag, put it on and see if you got room, you know, <laughs> and why should it be that even a good fitting? I mean, you know, if you're the average guy, you might be able to find a better fit than some folks, but there are a lot of guys that don't fit there. A lot of women don't fit that. So going forward, that's what we're doing is we're looking at the uniform and trying to think, okay, how can we change this? How can we make a better waiting boot that maybe doesn't look like a waiting boot? So one of the items that we came out with quite by accident was we're working with one of our partners in South Korea and in the box of boot samples that he sent me, he sent me these funny little cover things. I could not figure out what they were, just like a neoprene booty that you would put over a boot, but I wasn't really sure. And then we worked and after about a year, I was like, I have an idea for this. Uh, let's put the boots on hold and let's do this. And all it is, it's so simple, but you know, I've not seen anybody do it. It's a neoprene booty. It fits over any shoe, any sandal, any boot, and it has a removable felt sole. So you can take the felt sole off and replace it. It has uh, Kevlar around the edges. So you're thinking, okay, this is really cool, but who's going to use this? Well, the average guy that fly fishes a bit looked at it, you know, looks at it and goes, well, I got boots. Well, what if you going to take your kid? You know, it's $59. You put him on his tennis shoes. You put him on his Chaco sandals. You put him on his Keens, you know, whatever. And now they have a waiting shoe. I hike with my wife a lot. I started throwing them in with my um, sandals for when we get to camp. 
put them on. I've got wading shoes on. Okay. There's another version of that coming along. That'll be for people that are in areas where they can't have the felt soles. Yeah. And what are they called? What's the product called? The cloak. Yeah, the cloak. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like the other day I was fishing one of the last late harvest days on a local um, river and I ran into a spin fisherman who was um, in Crocs. And he said, he said, my feet, they just hurt all the time. And I gave him a, a card and said, look this company up. I've got a, I, of course I had one in the back of my car when his size, but I showed him, you put this over that and you can walk up and down through here and not slip. He was like, Oh yeah, I need those, you know? Yeah. And they're ultra light. That's the thing. They're super mm. ultra. Light. And it's basically like you're going back to your old, uh, talking about the kayaking or the scuba stuff, right? You've got this neoprene booty essentially. It's so simple. The big thing is it's, um, again, it's not for the guy who has everything. It's for the guy who wants to go in the back countries for the person who has kids. It's for like, uh, I got a pair for my wife because when we hike, we do come to a lot of crossings and you can do it barefoot, but you put these on, you walk across, you feel like you've got traction now. Yeah. And your feet aren't hurting walking on rocks. Some people can do it, but I'm not a big fan of walking on gravel and stuff and like cobble with my bare feet. No. Um, this is one of the things that sold me on it for, uh, just hiking, backpacking, day packing is, uh, we were on a pretty steep trail. I was brookie fishing and this man and lady came down from the top side and they just simply, the dude, he did some acrobatics getting across this Creek without getting his boots wet. And he was my age, which is 60. See, I'm just like, man, he's going to die. <laughs> I'm going to have to drag him out of here. This is bad. And then his wife just said, no, I can't do it. Well, there was a really good place to go across that, but it's a, you know, uh, long, uh, slick rock. And I said, here, take your shoes off, put these on and just walk across. And about halfway across, she goes, I can't believe this. And she walked one way, then she walked the other, then she, you know, she walked over the other side and she goes, well, what do I owe you? <laughs> she said, you're not getting them back. She goes, I've never come across anything like this. This is amazing. Um, nice. you know, so something simple like that, that just is different. And if it's a lot of niches, I mean, that's, that's what we got to look for is something that's a niche, something that's very, very different. I'm still not, I haven't gotten too far down the waiter line yet. I've been working mostly on footwear, but in waiters, there's got, I mean, that, that fit is one thing. And the next is, I think we've always used the same type of material because we've always used the same type of material, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. And if you look at fly fishing, I mean, there, there are big companies out there looking into things. And I don't understand why some of the things I think of haven't already been done simply because, you know, think about a stretchable waiter. Hmm. Like a stretchable, like a, like not a neoprene, like, because the material I always think of go back to, well, before Gore-Tex, right? Some Mm -hmm. of the older people remember that, right? I mean, it was, there was neoprene where occasionally you'll still see a pair of neoprene waiters out there. The problem with neoprene, they were awesome, but they were hot, right? Not the best waiters to wear during the summertime, right? And and yeah. probably maybe not as durable. I don't know. But so that material has gone, right? Neoprene, are there still neoprene waiters out there? Oh my God, no. It's it's still out there. I ran into two people hiking last year in them and I just could not fathom, fathom why in this day and age. But it's what, and it depends where you go. In materials you're talking about, you're basically saying there might be something else other than the types of breathable materials we're using? Right. And I know there is. I've seen two of them. One of them is just incredibly expensive. And I mean, you'd be making a $3,000 pair of waders, um, you know, for what we're doing. The other one is very viable. They got a couple things right in it, a couple things not, but they're willing to work on it. But if you could put a pair of waders on that, when you raise that leg or you squat it down, you know, I'm not talking about something that fits like leggings fit, but it wouldn't be as baggy. But every time you went to kneel, step over that rock, whatever, it stretches with you and it's breathable and waterproof. You know, that material's out there and it's just going to take a little bit more work on it. I'm sorry. I hope I answered your question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you did. No, it's good. This is great. I think that, um, I think we're doing good here. I mean, we've touched on a few of the big products, the questions I had, and we'll put links in the show notes to all this, the cloak wading shoe cover. Uh, you guys have that covered so yep. people can either wear it as a solo just on their foot or they could throw it over their over their boots, right? That's kind of the yep. way that works. Yep. Perfect. 
Well, anything else we want to throw out there? I guess one question I had, we mentioned women's gear a little bit, and that's something that, you know, that you hear a lot, right? That's a big thing. I mean, I have, I have two daughters that are young and they are going to be eventually getting a pair of waders and right, all that stuff. I mean, how do you guys look at the women's line? And uh, is that something Choda has talked about over the years and thought about? Yeah. So right now, you know, we have a, a sister company, Miss Mayfly, that has, you know, they've got 13 sizes specifically built for women and it is uh you know they've they stepped up and done what you know a lot of companies really haven't right like a lot of we always joke a lot of companies will just you know throw pink or turquoise on it and be done with it shrink it (laughs) yep exactly and that's not just a, a fly fishing problem i mean that's an entire outdoor industry problem, um, whether you're in the hunting space or the fishing space, whatever. But, you know, Miss Mayfly, their sizing is inclusive from, you know, all sizes. Um, it's built to fit women's bodies. You know, men are built differently than women. And we have, you know, started a, our, our sizing and our shaping has just always been the same. Like Mark said, it, it's a bag, go step in the bag. Right. And that's not what it should be. And, and so that's what most of the, the innovation that we've had with, with women's gear has been through that company. Um, and they've done really, really well with it. You know, when I was in Denver uh, this past weekend, I didn't get to see um, their booth that much, but when I was over there, I mean, they had lines, right? Like the women get it, the women love it. And that's a very, it's very important for us to to bring more women into the industry. We have to have gear that actually fits them and is comfortable and makes sense or else they're not going to get into it. Why would they, you know, this stuff isn't built for me. Why would I want to get into it? And so, and, and it's, you know, not just, not just Miss Mayfly, not just our companies, a lot of companies have started to be more innovative and that's been really important. Um, but for us, that's where that sizing that, you know, for the blue line comes from the, the women's sizing. And it's like, we've talked about reimagining the uniform, reimagining the sizing, um, and reimagining kind of everything. So. Perfect. Perfect. So that's it. So you basically have it covered. You got the Miss Mayfly and we mentioned earlier, the Daiichi, You've got the flight time, oh, yeah. uh, the the high quality hooks, which you know I've been using Daiichi for a long mm-hmm. time, uh, most pretty much my whole yeah. life. So I mean, it's a solid coming. You basically, you got, and this is under the Ranger uh, Outdoors kind of parent company, yes, right? Those are kind of your focus, yes, yeah. Sir. So, I mean, it, it sounds like, I mean, yeah, you guys have three, well, I mean, the Miss Mayfly, I don't know the history there. I'm hopeful to, to hear more of that down the line as well. But it sounds like you guys have some some very solid companies that have been around a long time. And, and that's what you're talking about here, Kayla. I think you mentioned it. Reimagining, right, the next generation. That's kind of where you're taking these. Is that what you look at when you think of the marketing side of this? Yeah, I mean, well, I look at it not just on the marketing side, but our entire industry. You know, we have done the same thing for a very long time and we've got to come up with new ideas. We've got to come up with new ideas to get people into fly tying. We've got to come up with new ideas to get people into fly fishing. If you go and look, so this was just something that I've noticed at the shows. I will see maybe 10 to 15 kids at each one of these shows, the fly fishing shows. When I go to like ICAST or the Bassmaster Classic here in a couple weeks, I will see more toe-headed, you know, 12-year-olds running around so excited to get in, into bass fishing, right? Right. Why is that? I, I think, um, and and what I'll say maybe is controversial, but I'll stand by it. I don't think our industry has prioritized bringing the next generation in. I think our industry has prioritized tradition and has prioritized kind of the old guard. And they haven't prioritized bringing on the next generation. And we see that with the size of our industry. And it's something that we've got to work on. And that's something that we're trying to work on with Choda by making it, you know, we've got to bring out kids waiters, right? That's one thing that we don't have. We've got to bring in, all right, if we're going to talk about bringing in kids, we've got to have the gear for the kids to come in. That was with with the cloak. That was one of our hopes, right? With the cloak, a family can come in and instead of having to buy their kid a $150 pair of wading shoes or, you know, uh, they can buy these cloaks and put them in, you know, their water shoes, put the cloaks yeah. over the top of them and, and get them out on the water. 
And I also like the hippies when I think yep. of the, about the hippies, because I have kids. I mean, I'm right in your line, right? I, this is the great thing. I mean, I've got an eight and a 10-year-old, two daughters, right? And they're just, you know, they've been fishing, but it's always the struggle is, is right, they're around water. And I could imagine the hippies, and I'm not even sure if you have a small enough size for them as they grow into it, but that would be something that might be kind of cool to have. My one question would be on like danger, right? I've always thought like our hip waders, right? You fall in the water. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is is safe to be swimming in? right? Because you think of them filling up. But I, I imagine, is that an issue to think about? I mean, I've gone in with my hip waders and I don't necessarily, I've never felt like they were pulling me down. I think, but, the, but I feel like also this is this, I'm just spitballing here. Anytime you've got something that is going to hold water, it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Just like chest waders. Like you're not going to, yeah. you better wear a belt yeah. if you have chest waders on, otherwise you get a chance of filling your waders up. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, but when you look at the material and okay, if, you know, if you go down with those, it's going to be uh, a lot less, it's not pulling your whole body. It's, it's pulling your legs. And so you've got your whole upper body to be able to, to get to, I mean, I've gone down in my chest waders and I literally had to hold on to two rocks and pull myself up because I found the, the infinite pool up there at the hatchery run at Teleco one day. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we had this story, we had John Bond on, he's a uh, lodge owner out in Norway. And he told this story about catching the Atlantic or he had Atlantic salmon. He was fishing and he went swimming. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where he had his, he had like his G Loomis ask with rod and he wasn't letting go of the rod. Right. So he swam for two minutes and he was okay. Mm-hmm. He knew he was okay because he probably had his waiter belt and stuff. But that's one of those things where, I mean, there is an inherent danger. You're around water. You know what I mean? Like this example, if I've got kids, they're not leaving my sight, obviously. Right. So, I mean, everybody has to respect that there is an inherent danger just being around water. Yeah. Well, and too, I mean, we talk about maybe we're we're giving up too many trade secret ideas here, (laughs) but, you know, (laughs) with, with kids waiters, is there a way to put some type of PFD into the upper, you know, upper chest of a of a kid's waiter that's still breathable and, and that's a good, like one of those, maybe one of those self-inflating deals, right? When you need it, you pull it. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's stuff that we've, we've got to think about, right? How are we safer on the water? I mean, we're lucky. I think that we're lucky. Um, well, well, like our tail water that, that I'm with, we get a five foot fluctuation and there's some parts where you don't get, but a five minute warning. I've walked on water a couple of times trying to get out of there. Actually, I had a fish hooked one time and those sirens went off and I went from three foot to about four and a half foot in about 10 seconds. That is sketchy. And I just said, heck with it. If I catch it, I catch it if I don't, but I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. But that goes with those chota waders. Cause I was able to, uh, I don't know if you ever fished the Hiawassee river, but no, you're not walking on cobblestone. You're walking on jagged rocks. And I was able to, uh, to cross some pretty jagged, nasty stuff and get out of there with my butt. That's it. <laughs> The Hiawassee. Well, I think what the Hiawassee, that is obviously, that's a famous river. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people probably have heard of it. We might leave that for another conversation because I do want to hear more about your guys, you know, your home waters. Yeah. And I know, Mark, you fish however many, you know, hundreds of days this year. So you've got a lot of experience. So we might leave all the fishing conversation <laughs> for maybe the next one we, we do here. But um, before we leave this today, I just want to make sure we don't miss anything. Do you guys feel like we highlighted kind of what you guys are focused on here? Anything you want to shed light on maybe the next year that you have coming or anything like that? You know, uh, the one thing is that I'm really big on, you know, Caleb hit it, you know, how are we growing the next uh, generation? Well, I guess I fish enough that uh, certain times of year, I just find somebody that's either new or been fishing a year or two and buddy up with them for a while. And get them going, you know, help them, just help them out. I've started several people off. I've been trying to do one new person a year for the last five years. And that's been really good. You know, take somebody new and get them out there and experience. And out of that, three of the two have really taken to it. And most of them are younger people. One of them's real funny. It was like mom wanted me to take her kids. So I did. And then the mom go, got pretty excited. Saw the her fish one day. Well, now that was two years ago. Now they're both fishing. Um, pretty regularly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I mean, take somebody fishing. Take, I know it's, we go to fish. We want to go catch fish, but take a minute, take somebody fishing. Let's grow the sport. Love that. Love that. That's a good, good way to kind of 
probably leave this one off thinking about, right, the next generation. How do you help, you know, those kids? Like you're saying, maybe we need to get more. It's for me, you know, I got a couple little kids, but I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities, you know, to, I'm not even sure on our podcast, right? How young the audience, I, I have a good idea, but you know, that'd be a good thing. We could probably do a better job of maybe creating some, uh, some content for the, some of the, even the younger generation to listen to. Um, so this is good guys. I feel, yeah. um, I feel like obviously we leave things on the table here, but give me one heads up. I like to take this away. The, the two minute drill we've been trying to do here just to, to kind of force us to, to wrap it up. So you guys want to try this? Uh, we haven't done the two minute drill with two people. So you want to give that a shot real quick? Sure. All right. <laughs> let's see if we can take it out here. I'm going to start the timer. Got a couple. These will be easy for you guys. We'll wrap this up, but let's, uh, let's start with you, Mark. So like, give us, we haven't talked fishing big time, but give us real quick. What's your one fly? You can't one, whatever you're going to go fishing today. You don't even know what's hatching. Just what is that fly? Yeah. Yeah. Here in the South, I would say uh, in the Appalachians, I would say a, uh, yellow, um, stimulator. Oh, nice. Love the stimulator. It just, awesome. It just works. It's Tim, and that's Kaufman's pattern. Who we we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about some of that history there with Kaufman. So that's awesome. So Caleb, give me your one. What's your fish species? You can only fish for one the rest of your life. Ooh, right now it'd probably be redfish. Yeah, <laughs> love, it. love it. That's another one on my list. This redfish is huge. Okay, so back to you, Mark. What's the one trip? I'm not sure if you have thoughts of big bucket list trips, but do you have one you haven't done that you want to you want to put together before you head out of here? Uh, yeah, I want to fish out west with my brother. You know, people always ask me, what's favorite place to fish? And it's wherever I'm fishing with my brother. He lives in Atlanta. I live up here. We've always tried to get together a couple times a year, and that's just getting harder and harder. So go out west. I don't care where, as long as it's him and me. And uh, you'll know because everybody will say, um, yeah, he was in here last year with, a, with his brother. His brother's really an SOB. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's just, he just, it, but yeah, wherever I could go fish out West with my brother, it's one thing we haven't been able to do. Awesome. And then how about just for both of you guys, is there a conservation group? I'm not sure in that area or something people can, I'm not that familiar with the Hiawassee or any of that area. Do you guys have anything that you think about or any place where we could learn more about something going on there? Yeah. So we've got the uh, Trout Unlimited 640 chapter, um, as, as well as the Appalachian chapter. Those are our two that are really involved here in the Southeast. Also, um, there's Cody Bain with the Native Fish Coalition. He's in North Georgia. They've been starting to to do some some good stuff in the area. So those are the the two, two main. There's a couple other conservancy groups but in terms of trout in our area those are kind of the three main uh three main groups love it that's perfect all right guys well i think i'll leave it there and we'll send everybody out to chodaoutdoorgear.com if they have questions for you and uh, i think this has been awesome for me just getting a little more insight on what you have going and uh, i think there will be you know more questions and i think uh, hopefully we can get you guys back on too and talk more do a little deeper dive but i appreciate you for spending some time today and we'll keep in touch with you absolutely thank you dave this has been awesome appreciate your time so there it is wetflyswing.com slash 431 if you want to get the show notes uh, take a look at some of the videos and links and things we talked about today wetflyswing.com slash 431 If you're loving this episode or this podcast, you want to share the love, you can do that right now. Click that share button in the app you're in and just uh, send a text out to somebody and say, here is a good episode. Have a listen. We're going to take a look at where we're heading next. But before we do, let's take a listener shout out right now. Bill Stone, you noted you inherited a 10-foot bamboo rod and had no idea how to restore it. And you've been watching those videos from Proof. Yeah, so Proof, uh, Matt Draft was on Again, we uh, had a little catch-up episode with him, so that's so cool that uh, you're loving them as well. Uh, Thanks for checking in, Bill. If you want to get a shout-out, if you're listening right now, you can reach out to me, Dave, at Wet Fly Swing anytime, and I can help you uh, to get a little shout-out on this podcast. I'd love to hear where you're coming from and what episode or guests you would like to hear from. If you haven't checked in with me, please do it now if you get a second. Let's see where we are headed next. We are headed... Ooh... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tomorrow, Brendan Morrison, our first NHL professional hockey player. Brendan Morrison also has a TV show, uh, YouTube uh, show, and it's uh, The Real West Coast. But he also had a cool uh, career in hockey. We talk about uh, equal parts hockey. It's a really fun episode. So check that out. Um, and then 
I've already noted this, but we got Jeff Liskane. Episode number one of his new podcast is going to be going live uh, this week, Friday. A special Friday bonus episode. Excited to share uh, Jeff, get that one out. And then, man, I don't even know if, know if I want to say it right now. We got a huge one coming up on Tuesday. We've got a new one and a new book club. Uh, I'm going old school, so you're going to have to. I'm not even going to give this one away. It's All I'm going to say is this is a massive uh, guest and uh, somebody that's got some skills around the book, around the book stuff. So uh, I'll leave it at that. And uh, and yeah, I'm gonna, I am gonna. think I'm going to bust out of here. I'm going to leave you. I, I appreciate you for checking in today. I appreciate Mark and Caleb for the great episode and, uh, and hearing the Chota story. I've been wanting to hear that for a while. I'm going to get out of here. So I hope you're having a good evening. Hope you're having a good morning or good afternoon, wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping in and uh, spend some time with us. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.